I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to the first letter of John, 1 John 2, verse 28, will be the beginning of our scripture reading, and we'll read through chapter 3, verse 3. In our evening services, we've been waking our way through the first letter of John, and here we come to a glorious passage in the first letter of John concerning uh, being the children of God. This is 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 through chapter 3, verse 3. Let us now give our careful attention to the reading of God's holy and inspired word. The Apostle John writes by the inspiration of the Spirit, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Indeed, may God write this word on our hearts this evening as we meditate upon it together. Well, beloved, we're living in a world that's having a bit of an identity crisis Uh, More and more today, we are told as human beings that we can create ourselves and we can be the authors of our own story, right? We live in a world that mostly confesses that we are not uh, made by God and created by him as image bearers defined by his boundaries. But as human beings, we have the ability to set our own boundaries and to choose an identity that is unique to whatever we think is best. And even as Christians, beloved, we struggle with this topic of identity as well. Uh, We could find ourselves identifying ourselves or defining ourselves by our labors at work or in the church, maybe by our marital status, our social income, how much money we make. We, too, uh, attach our identity to many things on this earth. And connected with this struggle for identity in the world today is this feeling that we really don't belong anywhere. It's easy to think, you know, other people belong or other people have friends or other people have a community, but not me. And again, we all struggle with this, don't we? The struggle to belong in the workplace or at school or with certain friend groups. And God knows these things about us as human beings. And in this text of scripture, beloved, God declares who we are and who we belong to. The Apostle John tells us that we are children of God who have a father in heaven. And this identity and this hope that God our father gives us shapes our lives right now. As we've been learning in John's letter, he's writing to a church that is struggling. It's battling attacks of heresy and false teaching. Last time we heard, didn't we, about Antichrist and the reality of apostasy. Those are some heavy things. Last time, John told the church to abide in God, to abide in his word. And these are difficult and high callings. It's hard to live for the Lord. But notice what the Apostle John does to strengthen these Christian believers in their faith. 
he reminds them of their identity as God's beloved children. And as children, they have a present and vital relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, his Son. And that's what we want to meditate upon this evening. We're going to see three things from this text. First, the declaration of who we are. Second, the realization of who we are. And then finally, the appearing of what we will be. First, beloved, in chapter 3, verse 1, we see this great declaration of who we are. John says, See or behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. You see, first John shows us the quality of God's love. What manner of this love is this, John says. In other words, you could even say, like, what realm is this from? What kind of love is this? It's the same word used of Jesus when he calmed the storm in Mark chapter 4. And after Jesus calmed the storm saying, peace be still, what did the disciples say of Jesus? We read of them saying, what manner of man is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. And here John, even though he's an aged saint now, an older believer, he still marvels at the grace of God, at the love of God. And indeed, this is a love that originates in the very heart of God himself, a love that is bestowed upon sinners like us even before the foundation of this world. Ephesians 1 verse 5, In love God the Father predestined us as sons in Jesus Christ. And this is a love that's manifested in history in God giving to this world his only son, that we might be saved. And here John is really focusing on the result of God's great love. What's the result of this love of the Father? That we should be called what? How would you fill in that verse? What manner of love that we should be called maybe the covenant people of God? Or that we should be called servants of God? Or that we should be called friends of God? Those are all true biblical things, but they're not intimate enough. John says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And that is especially beautiful, beloved, if you know what you once were apart from Jesus. The reality of God's word is this, that by natural birth in that first Adam, we were all fallen sons of Adam, children of wrath, dead in sin, slaves to the devil and headed to hell. We were at one time indifferent to God, our creator and hostile to him. Author Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, puts it this way. We inhaled rejection of God and exhaled self-destruction and well-deserved judgment. Beneath our smiles at the grocery store and cheerful greetings to the mailman, we were quietly enthroning self and eviscerating our souls of the beauty and dignity and worship for which they were created. See, whether or not we are outright lawbreakers or whether or not we were people who were morally good in an outward sense we were all at one time apart from God remember how the apostle Paul puts himself in that category of those who once lived an outwardly good life before God morally decent deeply religious but Paul says he was actually dead in his sins but what did God do for us and for Paul and for all of his children On account of Jesus Christ, 
He caused us to be born again to a living hope. And that's what you see in chapter 2, verse 29. You read there of those who are born of him, that is, born supernaturally by the Spirit, made new children of God. In his gospel, the apostle John puts it this way, chapter 1, verse 12, to all who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. And so this evening, John wants us to behold this message. He's saying, see this love, behold this love. It's like the bold letters of a newspaper, right? This is noteworthy information for you, little children, John is saying, that you are called God's beloved. Why do we need to fix our attention on this? Again, it's because we so easily forget it as Christians. We can functionally live on this earth as orphans, struggling with our identity because we are in this world and we're captured by all the ways the world tells us of what's important and and who we are. And we think, don't we, at times that even our status as children of God is something that we achieve by our own goodness and it's not something that we receive wholly by grace. I think this doctrine of adoption as well, someone, uh, somewhat one of those doctrines we don't think about enough, even in the Reformed Church. In the Reformed Church, we rightly love the doctrine of justification by faith alone, right? That's the Reformation doctrine, isn't it? It's the heart of what makes us who we are. It's the gospel concerning what God has done to justify sinners on account of Jesus Christ alone. Although justification is central to our faith, there's another doctrine that is even more sweet, even more intimate, And that is this doctrine here of adoption. The words of J.I. Packer, adoption is the highest benefit of the Christian life. You see, in justification, you are right with God as judge. But in adoption, God becomes your father. J.I. Packer puts it this way, to be right with God, the judge, is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is even greater Justification takes context uh, uh, takes place within the context of a courtroom of a judge declaring you righteous on account of Jesus. But adoption takes place in the context of a family. It's not only legal, but it's familial, it's intimate. You're not only a sinner who has been forgiven, but in adoption you are a child who is now being loved by God, your heavenly Father. Again, this is a love you don't see in the world, right? A judge coming down from the courtroom setting after he has declared someone righteous or not guilty and coming and taking off his robe and saying, well, now I want you to come home and be part of my family. I'm going to sign the paperwork so you're legally belonging to me now, and I'm going to take care of you and provide for you. This is what John is talking about. See what manner of love the Father has bestowed, gifted to us. Well, dear children of God, this is what God declares over us. And now in verse 2, we see the realization of who we are, this realization of who we are. And when it comes to living for God, all of us functionally live before God in two ways. We're either trying to live for God's favor or from God's favor. You see, our hearts are hardwired for the law. And so we struggle to believe that this status 
of being God's children is wholly ours by grace. Again, J.I. Packer puts it in his book. This is the book Knowing God, by the way. This is a convicting quote. He says this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. It's that struggle, isn't it, to believe deep down that we are God's children. We don't always behold his love. Again, we listen to all of the voices of the world that cause us to question our identity. And so we need to be warmed by the love of God. We've been giving thanks for the rain and the snow. It's been cold outside. And I'm sure many of you have been making use of your heaters in the home, right? Turning up the heat. Even though the gas bill is extra high, we still use the heat, right? But what happens if you turn up the heat, but you close all of the vents? Be kind of foolish, right? All of the heat kind of stays up there and it's circulating, but you don't really get the benefits of it if you close up all the vents when you turn up the heat. Well, in a similar way, we don't behold the love. When we don't behold the love of God, it's like we're closing up all the vents and our hearts, they, they stay cold. They stay apathetic and insecure. And John here is inviting us to, to open up the vents to allow the love of God to come and to, to warm our hearts as we meditate on who God says we are because of Jesus. He says what? Beloved, verse 2, we are God's children now. The realization of who we are. Right now, the Spirit of God comes into our lives to help us believe that even right now, with all of our struggles, we are God's children. Romans chapter 8, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You see, in human adoption, a parent is not able to make their child conform to their new family ways. And the same is true with a biological child. A parent can't get into the heart of their children and make them reflect the family characteristics. Right? They can't get in there and cause them to live in a new way. They can encourage them, love them, disciple them, discipline them, but they can't dig in and change their hearts. But God is able to do that. God, by his spirit, can come into the recesses of our hearts and bear witness in our hearts that we are God's children and enable us to live in a new way. This is Heidelberg Catechism question and answer one, that by the spirit he makes us wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. John is saying here, you not only have the status of adoption, what God declares over you, but you have the spirit of adoption helping you to look more like your elder brother, Jesus Christ. Well, what are those family characteristics that we are being conformed to? Well, John is telling these little children all throughout his letter what it looks like to walk as children, as those born of God. Chapter 1, verse 7, they walk in the light as God is in the light. Chapter 1, verse 8, they confess their sins to God. Chapter 3, verse 7, they put off sinful habits. Chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, they confess the truth and they walk in it. Chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, they care for the poor. 
Chapter 5, verse 14, they depend on God in prayer and they pray according to his word. The Spirit is helping us to reflect these new family characteristics that mark the little children of God. And our text here reminds us then that we live very different from the world when we're living in this way. John says the reason they did not know us is because they did not know him. That our new way of love, our new way of walking in truth, our new way of worship makes us different in this world. That when people look at us and see how we honor each other, sacrifice for each other, love each other, that they see something that is different because the manner of love that we have received from the Father is being reflected in our love for each other. And so John says, beloved, we are God's children now. And the question is, are we living as the children of God in this world? Are we working for God's favor, trying to earn his love? Are we living from his favor in the gospel and from his love in Christ? Again, our hearts are hardwired from the law, which is not all bad. But sometimes we think that our day-to-day faithfulness changes this status of adoption that we have. But we learn in God's word, our identity, thanks be to God, contrary to this world, is not achieved by us, but received by us in Christ. You are who God says that you are in Christ, and therefore you are called to walk in these new family ways. Now, this is difficult for us, this side of heaven, right, to reflect Jesus, our elder brother. And that's why John ends here on this last point, the appearing of what we will be, giving us this hope. Verse three, the appearing of what we will be. We've heard the declaration of who we are. We see the realization of who we are. And finally, the appearing of what we will be. We read here in verse two, the second half, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. John encourages us, saying, Beloved, we're God's children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared. You see, there's this now and this not yet to this text. Now we are God's children, but what we will be has not yet appeared. And so we live, don't we, in this tension, even as God's children, where we're given this status and given the spirit, but we're still longing for what we're going to fully be one day. We're still longing for that new creation that we heard from from Isaiah, our true and eternal home. We're waiting to come home to the family that God has prepared for us. And our hearts yearn within us for that day. We groan to be more like Jesus. But the Apostle Paul, our Apostle John, sorry, speaks here of this blessed hope of what we will be with certainty. Hope in the biblical sense, beloved, is not wishful thinking. Hope is not just hoping for the best, but hope in a biblical sense is longing for a reality that you know will come to pass. And you know will come to pass because of what Jesus has done already in the past. And because of what he has accomplished for us in the gospel, we have an inheritance in him that we could look forward to with true joy. How does that connect with our adoption? One commentator highlights in John's day, under Roman law, adoption was a common process, but the child was usually a young adult 
who had shown himself fit and able to carry out carry on sorry the family name in a worthy way you know the adopted person was worthy to receive the inheritance and they had showed themselves fit for that but we see in our text how god bestows upon us this inheritance by grace on account of jesus christ because the perfect and obedient son jesus christ the second person of the trinity came for us in order to be our elder brother who would bring us into the family of God by grace. And you see, he was treated at the cross like we deserve because we were disobedient sons of God. But he was treated like we deserve so that we might be treated like he deserves, that we might be loved like the son, given the inheritance with the son, being raised with the son, Jesus Christ, to newness of life. And this is the hope that we have. And John says this hope causes us not to shrink back at fear when he comes. Because of who Jesus is, when Jesus comes on the clouds of heaven one day, we could actually have confidence and joy. John says when we see him, we're going to be made like him. We're going to be glorified like him, fit for heaven like Jesus. Philippians 2 verse 21 He will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. When Jesus returns, beloved, God will complete the good work that he has begun in you. Think about this. When Jesus returns, God will grant to you the holiness and the perfection of Jesus, the elder son, that you might fully reflect his glorious image and be who you were truly made to be as his child. For all those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Romans 8, verse 30. And so if all this is true, this blessed hope that's to come, we're going to be conformed to who Jesus is. What should be our response right now as God's children? Should we be lazy in the faith, apathetic, indifferent? No, John connects the dots in this way, verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. When God shows us our hope and what we will be, it's like he's showing us the puzzle top. You make a puzzle, right? What do you do to help you put together all the pieces? Sometimes you keep the puzzle top right next to you and you stare at what it's supposed to be, what it will be, and that helps you to put together the puzzle pieces in the process. Well, in a similar way, John is showing us what we will be so that we might be motivated to purify ourselves as he is pure. What a wonderful motivation God gives to us as we pursue holiness and knowledge and purity as God's children. It's like right now we are making ourselves beautiful like a bride on her wedding day, right? A bride on her wedding day gets ready with joy in her hearts, adorning herself, making herself beautiful. Why? Because she's anticipating that marriage ceremony that will soon take place. She's already had the pledge of her love of her fiance her bridegroom and so she gets ready with joyful expectation 
Likewise, as Christians, beloved, we pursue holiness as we await the return of our bridegroom. Even now we have the pledge of his love. Even now we have the first fruits of the Spirit. And all of this gives us the safe and proper and beautiful motivation for living for Jesus Christ. Consider how Paul connects it in this way in Philippians 3. He says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. So dear Christian, may we make much thought of the fact that we are God's beloved children. Today, let us take time to behold this love as we consider God's word and meditate on the gospel. This week and even today, we are going to have battles against our old sinful nature. We're going to struggle with our identity because of our sin and because of what the world says around us. And when we get discouraged, beloved, may we heed the Apostle John's call to behold again the love of our Father in heaven. May we look to our elder brother, Jesus Christ who has proven and validated the Father's love for us by dying for us when we were wayward children so that we can be brought home to God. And as we anticipate the day of Jesus coming near, we can rejoice in what God is doing in us already. We could say with the great hymn writer John Newton these words. He says, I am not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world, but still, I'm not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Amen. Let's pray. Dear our Father in heaven, we we do rejoice to call upon you, even this evening as your children, to call upon you as our Father, because of that love you have bestowed upon us in Jesus Christ. Help us to behold your love today and to receive it, as we consider the love that you show to us in the gospel. And we pray that this week you would help us to live before you as beloved children. May your spirit conform us to the family characteristics of you, Father, making us more more like your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, indeed, may we hope more and more for the appearing of our Savior. Indeed, we look forward to that day with great joy. And we pray, indeed, you would increase our expectation and increase our faith. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, let us sing together our song.